going to talk about is um, going to be a, well, I mean, a 13-week process thereabout, Lord willing. And as we look at this overview, what the different subjects and the different part of this transmission from the mind of God to your lap or to your shelf or to um, your heart and your mind is going to begin with us talking about the process of revelation and inspiration. That's where we're going to start this evening and talking particularly about the, the process of uh, inspiration. There are two different things with regard to revelation and inspiration. Again, that's what we're going to be addressing this evening primarily. What we're also going to be talking about is uh, the, the canonicity of Scripture. How did we get 66 books? How did we get 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament? How was the process about how each one of these books um, gained its authority? How was it? Was it basically authority to begin with? What about some of the other ones, the extra biblical writings as we would call them? Some of them that they call Apocrypha, uh, the Book of Enoch, the Assumptions of Moses, the Book of Maccabees. Who decides which one is authoritative or which ones are in the canon? What's the basis for that decision? We're going to spend some time talking about how we got the 66 books that we've got um, here sitting in our lap. We're going to also talk about the transmission of the text, how it was copied and how it was recopied. You ever play the gossip game when you're kids? No? You know what I'm talking about? Telephone. I think it's also called telephone. You sit in a big circle and somebody whispers New England clam chowder to the person to the left or right. And that person whispers it all the way around the circle and then you get uh, um, all the way to the end of that circle. And what's usually the result? <laughs> Somebody's talking about free birds. Is that what you said? Something like that. I don't know. But you have a uh, process of transmission. Okay, if we're talking about thousands of years and we're talking about translating from different languages to our English language, the question we have to ask is how faithful was that transmission? Was it like the telephone game? Was it maybe a matter where you started out with one thing and then ended up with something completely different? And again, this is not meant to challenge or to, well, excuse me, back up. It is meant to challenge our faith, but at the same time, it's also meant to reinforce our faith. To understand how the process of transmission is really an evidence of inspiration of the Word of God. And that's a wonderful thing to think about. Um, how could it be accurate? You know, sometimes things get convoluted in a hurry, but we're talking about transmission of the text uh, in this class. And then ultimately, the English Bible. If we lived in Mexico, we'd be interested in the Spanish Bible. If we lived in Russian, we'd be interested in the Russian Bible. And we're interested particularly in the, uh, the American version, the American English version of the Bible and how we got that here in the first place. That's the course of our study, and that's where we're going to be going. So each one of those topics is going to be one of the things that we're going to be talking about uh, throughout the course of this quarter. All right. Let's start off with just some pre preliminary thoughts as we get started this, this evening. And let's start off with this. We worship a God and we serve a God who is all-powerful. God is all-powerful. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. John was given a unique picture to look into the throne room of God. And you know what he saw? He saw angels and he saw angelic beings who were all bowing down before God and worshiping him and saying, Revelation 4 verse 11, You are worthy, O God, or O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Everything that we have and everything that we know, God created. That's just a fundamental truth, and that's where we have to begin. You want to start off with something with your, which you're going to study your friends and with your neighbors. You've got to start off with an understanding that there is an all-powerful creator, and he is interested in your life and my life. 
We're not deist, we're not agnostic, we're not atheist. We're people who believe in a single God who is all-powerful and who orchestrated all things according to his will. God is also interested in the salvation of all men. This is preliminary thought number two. God desires the salvation of all men. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What God wants for each one of us, what God wants for all humanity, is that they can come to know him, the only true and living God, the one who is all-powerful, the one who sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you and me. God is all-powerful, and he is interested in your salvation and my salvation. Point number three about God. God saves men when they submit to his word. God saves men when they submit to his word. James 1 verse 22 we know very well. Be doers of the word and finish it for me please. Not hearers only, deceiving yourself. But James 1.21, the very verse before that, says, Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Now, question, what's able to save your soul? The implanted word. Whose word? The word of an all-powerful God. The word of a God who wants to save you and wants to save me. God gave his word so that you and I can be saved. And God will save us when we come under submission to what he says. Everybody following so far? Isn't that strange that when Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is instituted, or Genesis chapter 1 is instituted, and then you've got the seven days, six days of creation, seventh day God rested, but all throughout that chapter you have, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. God had dominion over all of the earth and forming the land masses and separating the water from the sky and making the plants and the animals and telling the celestial bodies to exist and putting all the things in place. But he gave you and me something special than all the rest of creation. He gave us an eternal soul, but he also gave us a choice whether or not we're going to submit to his word. God didn't give that choice to anything else in creation. There's never going to be a time when God speaks and creation says, no, not today. I'll call, for, I'll call for you, God, another convenient day. However, because you and I have the ability to choose, we also have the ability to choose and put ourselves under submission to God and to his word. And God will save us when we put ourselves in that position. We call it obeying the gospel. God saves men when they submit to his word, James chapter 1, verse 21. Another promise. God promises that his word will never pass away. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 to 25. 1 Peter 1, verses 23 to 25. 1 Peter 1, 23 through 25. Peter says, we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God. What were we born again through? Hello? What were we born again through? 
Let me read it again. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God. What were we born again through? The word of, thank you very much, the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because, he's going to quote here from the Old Testament, because all flesh is as grass, and the uh, uh, glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Now, the question we ask from Peter is, what were we born again through? The word of God. If the word of God lives and abides forever, and we have been born again through the word of God, what does that say about us? We're going to live and abide forever if we have been born again through the word of God. That's Peter's point all throughout chapter 1. And talking specifically about Christians suffering and going through suffering, what he wants to tell them is you have been born not of uh, corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God. And just like the word of God is incorruptible and the flesh of man is going to uh, decay, and uh, unless the Lord comes first, you and I are going to have an occasion where, well, people are going to honor our memory. That's just the reality of it. And as we think about that, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily the end for us because the word of our Lord endures forever. He says, now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. With all these preliminary thoughts in our mind, that God, being all-powerful, is interested in his creation, man, more than anything else in his creation. When God placed man in that garden and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul God was interested in him because there's a being that's now made in the image of God. And God said, I want to bestow blessing upon that one. Yet we know, Genesis chapter 3, what happened? Sin enters the world. Now there's a division between man and between God. And as that division comes, so also God is looking and saying, how can I still bless mankind? How can I still rescue my prime creation? How can I rescue the one whenever he's got this blight on him? And in fact, God, before he ever founded the world, the word of God tells us he had purposed exactly what he was going to do through Christ Jesus. God knew in his infinite foreknowledge that that's what we would need as a savior. And God began to orchestrate this plan. And God began to enact this plan all the way from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through, well, Acts chapter 2 is really where it was when his plan came into fruition where man could be fully reconciled to God through the body of his son, Jesus. And God desired the salvation of all men, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And God today will still save men when they submit to his word. And therefore you understand that God has promised that his word is never going to pass away. We have the word of God and we know these things as we begin to start our, um, our study about uh, the, how we got the Bible. We're going to talk just briefly about two important definitions of what we need to understand. The very first one that I want you to get is the definition for revelation. Revelation is a message that God is going to communicate directly to a prophet. A message that God is going to communicate directly to a prophet. <coughs> As you're writing, let me say this. This is half of the definition of revelation. The other half we're not necessarily going to talk about particularly because there's two different types of revelation. There is a general revelation, and then there is a special revelation. The definition for special revelation is exactly what I've given you here on the screen. General revelation is knowing the fact that there is a God just by simply observing the world around you. 
If I go out and I look at the trees and I look at the flowers and the grass and I look up at the sky and I see the storm that comes and the storm that leaves and I see the, the, uh, the way that the water cycle works and I begin to study even down to the very minutest detail and looking down at the atoms and I see that there's order and there's, there's not chaos and I begin to look at the general revelation of God that God created this world and he made this world good. I'm looking at this from the aspect that says, yes, I can know that there's a God based upon the fact that I see order and design in creation. That's general revelation. Special revelation is that which you and I would have had no way to know if God hadn't told us. Right? Can I go out and ask a tree, can you tell me about God? Can you tell me about his nature and his character? What's a tree going to say? The trick question, the tree's not going to say anything. You got it right. I knew, right? You know the tree's not going to say anything because it's just a tree. I can't go to nature and say, tell me about the character of the God who made you. Tell me about him uh, and his, his, his will for my life. I can't go to nature, despite what the New Ages might tell you. I can't go to nature and, and ask it what it, uh, what it thinks about God and what God wants me to do. What I have to do is go to the special revelation of God, that which we would have had no other way to know if God hadn't told us. And that's exactly what we're talking about with this. This is a message that God has given directly to a prophet. And then we'll talk more about what a prophet is um, as we move along. Everybody with me so far? Nod your head if you are. All right, it's Wednesday night. Y'all stay with me. Slap yourself around, get up and walk in the back. You won't hurt my feelings either way. Oscar, I'm going to come over there and slap you around. You look like you need a little help. All right. The second word that we're talking about and interested in is this. Inspiration. Inspiration. Inspiration is what is specifically written that God first revealed to a prophet. It is the written product that God first revealed to his prophet. Right? Right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture, what scripture? Well, not, sorry, what is scripture? It's God's word. All God's word is inspired. Okay? All scripture is inspired of God and given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and proof, for correction, instruction, righteousness. He says that about what is written. That is inspired. It's something that God breathed through. It's a breathed uh, out of him uh, that, that tells us what he wants us to do or what he wants us to be. The revelation is the message given to the prophet. The prophet writes it down, and the message that he writes down is said to be inspired. It's an important distinction that we need to get, and we'll talk more about it as we move along. Anybody still writing this? Anybody still need it? Uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We'll deal with that more fully uh, later on in the quarter, Lord willing. All right, raise your hand if you're still writing. We good? All right, moving along. Turn your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. And let's talk about Revelation. Excuse me. If you're interested in a good verse to talk to somebody about the full inspiration of 
the New Testament, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, would be a great one to, to have in your uh, arsenal, in your tool belt. Particularly because it's going to talk about the um, revelation that God gave through Jesus and inspired his prophets to write um, as, we, uh, as we move along. Notice the complement of chapter, or sorry, verse 1 and verse 2 here in Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at various times, in various ways, in times past to, in, to the fathers, by the prophets, that in these last days has spoken to us by a son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds. Now, as you're looking at this, we're talking about the way that God communicates his message. So are we talking about revelation or are we talking about inspiration? We're talking about revelation. We're not talking about what's written just yet. But if we're talking about the way that God gave the message, this is absolutely talking about revelation, right? Note the complement of verse 1 and verse 2. God spoke, verse 1. God spoke at times past, verse 2. God has spoken, verse 2. Note also, God spoke to the forefathers, verse 2. God has spoken to us. Notice part number three. God has spoken in times past to the forefathers through the prophets. But God has spoken to us through the Son. Who's he talking about? Jesus. And Jesus say that I always do the things that please the Father. My word will judge you in the last day. John 12, 48 through 50. Didn't Jesus say everything that I've said? I come and I bear witness of the Father. What God gave to Jesus in the message that he wanted him to speak was the revelation. God has spoken to us through his son. God spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. But God has today spoken to us by his son. The way that God has brought about everything that he has brought about to this point is so that people could understand his will back in the Old Testament to the forefathers by the prophets. And again, we'll mention more of that as we move along. But as God spoke to those prophets, he wanted something to, them to understand something of his will to prepare the way for the time when he would speak by his son. And he says that in these last days, today is the key word of the book of Hebrews. Today he has spoken to us by his son. Does that mean we need to listen to the prophets anymore? Well, if we're talking about the character of God and talking about the things that we can learn from them, the answer is yes, absolutely. We can learn things from the prophets. However, as far as what we need about life and godliness, who do we listen to? We listen to the Son. Why? Because God has spoken today and expects us to hear what he has to say about salvation, about the way that the world, um, uh, the world hates us and about the, uh, the plan of salvation. Right? So you've got a past, you've got a present, you've got a through the prophets, you've got a to us or through the son, you've got a to, uh, to the forefathers and to us, and God has still spoken. God has spoken and the completion of the revelation that he brought is now in his son, Jesus Christ. Everybody tracking? Questions, comments? Righto. As we move along and talking about passages about revelation, Note the fact the way that God can speak to men, especially to the prophets. 
Now, once again, are we talking about revelation or are we talking about inspiration? We're talking about revelation, exactly right. Exodus 20, verse 1, do you realize that over 2,000 times in your Old Testament, it has that God recorded, or it has the recorded word of God, that he spoke to somebody and he said something. He revealed something about himself through, uh, through, um, through his character, through the way that he did. Exodus 20, verse 1, and God spoke all these words to Moses, the beginning of the Ten Commandments. It doesn't leave it to our imagination about who gave that, uh, gave that inspiration or gave that, uh, gave that speech. God gave it to Moses. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 7 through 11. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face. He's talking about Moses and he's given him his revelation. And especially in this case, uh, this is after the golden calf incident. And God is talking to Moses and visiting with him about uh, how the plan that they're going to move forward with. Notice one passage, Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 20. Moses talking about a future time when God is going to speak to mankind again. God says, or Moses says, God's spoken through me. You know, remember what we call the Old Testament, particularly Matthew, uh, sorry, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books of law or the books of Moses. The law was given through Moses. And Moses here in Deuteronomy 18, this very important passage, is prophesying about a time when God is going to speak again. And notice what he's going to say. He says, I'm going to raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among them, brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, uh, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of another gods, that prophet shall die. What God is saying through Moses is, Moses says, you've got the law. I've given you the law. God has told me the law. I've written it down. Now what has he done? Not, no longer revelation. What is it? It's now inspiration. When the law was written down, that became inspired, and that was something that they held on to. It was revealed by God to Moses. Moses wrote it down faithfully, and that was the inspired books of Moses. Now Moses is saying, God says that there's coming a time where he's going to raise up a prophet like unto Moses. If you want to write a cross-reference there beside Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 20, write uh, um, uh, Acts chapter 3, particularly verses 21 through 23. Acts chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. Because Peter is going to use that in his sermon and say, this is Jesus. This is Jesus that Moses is prophesying of. But God says, through Moses, I'm going to put my words in his mouth, this prophet that I'm going to raise up, and in him you should hear in all things. God says, Moses, you're not my only prophet. Moses, you're not the only one that I'm going to reveal my law through. And God came along and he, uh, he did that through Jesus. You're there in your Old Testament, flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 9. 1 Samuel 9, verse 9. Saul's looking for his donkey. 
Remember that he had a father uh, that had a uh, donkey escape, had some cattle escape, and Saul went to go look for it and ended up finding Samuel the prophet. But on the way, he says, we need to go and ask the man of God where these, uh, this lost, uh, lost cattle is. And as they're doing so, note that chapter 9, verse 9 of 1 Samuel is a parenthetical. It's just an aside. It's something to help the reader understand what's going on. And what he says is, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire uh, of God, he spoke thus, Come, let's go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly a seer. Notice that there is a distinction here between these two words. Come, let's go to the seer. What you're talking about is a person, that first word, roe, who sees things that others cannot. We could be talking about the future. We could be talking about uncertain things. We could be talking about things that have to do with um, things that are just hidden. Okay? But what we're talking about with that second word, navi, is the word for prophet. And that is a person who is a spokesman specifically for God. There's a person who has the authority given to him to speak on behalf of God because most often he speaks to God. And so when God tells Jeremiah, go and tell these people, go and say to these people, he's speaking to God, but he's speaking for God. God is speaking through him. Notice that God uses both the men who are called seers, but also the men who are called spokesmen or prophets. 1 Corinthians, let's go back to the New Testament just for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2, Peter, or sorry, excuse me, Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he's telling them about the message that they received. And particularly he's talking to them about the fact that they received it and when they received it, they didn't receive it as, uh, as they ought to. And in fact, he's talking about the fact that they wanted to exalt the preacher. And Paul says it's not about the preacher, it's about the message, it's about the word of God, it's about the gospel that's able to save mankind. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe, that's all chapter 1. But as he's talking about the way that God gave his message, note what he says there in verses 9 through, uh, 9 through 12. Paul quotes from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, and he says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things that are in man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, if we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is in from God, that we might know all things that have been given freely to us by God, then these things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Let me tell you what he's saying. Ellen, read my mind. What am I thinking about right now? No, absolutely not. She said tacos, not right. Oscar, what am I thinking of? Hamburger? Why do you look at me and immediately think he's thinking about food? That's not fair. So, <laughs> the fact is, as good of a guess as hamburger and tacos are, the truth is you can't know what I'm thinking unless I open my mouth and I tell you exactly what I'm thinking. Isn't that true? What man knows the things of a man except that the spirit of the man that's in him? I can't read your thoughts. I can make a pretty good guess maybe about what you're thinking about, but I can't read your thoughts and you can't read my thoughts. Who's going to be the one that reads God's thoughts? 
What's the way that God is going to tell us exactly what his thoughts are? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. God has spoken to us what his spirit has revealed from the mind and from the heart of God. And as God spoke through his prophets, he's telling them exactly what's in his mind and what's in his heart. Ever have somebody give you a piece of their mind and you wish that they could take it back? No. God is giving his mind and his heart so that we can better know what we can do to please him and to understand him. And God revealed those things because he loves us enough to tell us the truth and tell us what we need to hear. You understand the process of revelation. God did that and he did that because he wanted to reveal those things to us. Galatians 1 verses 11 and 12. Paul's gospel that he got, where did he get it from? You remember Paul was an apostle that was born out of due season according to his own testimony, right? And as Paul was there on the road to Damascus and he saw the bright light and Jesus said, he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Uh, go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And Paul goes into Damascus blind. He sits there for three days, not eating, not drinking. And then Ananias comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you waiting? Why don't you rise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord? It's all Acts 22, 16, right around there. Saul gets up, he goes, and he's baptized. He then begins to preach the gospel. Question, where did Paul get it? What Paul has to say in Galatians chapter 1 is, once I received the gospel, or once I became a Christian, I didn't immediately make a beeline for Jerusalem. He said, I didn't make a beeline for Jerusalem and then have those people there in Jerusalem. All right, Peter, download everything you've told me or that the Lord told you about what I need to be to be an apostle. Peter, apostles, y'all give me a crash course in what it means to be an apostle. Paul said, I didn't do any of that. Where did he get his message from? Where did he get his gospel from? This is a point of contention all throughout Paul's ministry. You go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 11, 12, they're going to look at him and say, yeah, Paul's not an apostle like the rest of them. Paul's kind of like a, a B-team apostle or a C-team apostle. Paul's not as, as eminent, preeminent as the other ones. And Paul says, no, 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 a thousand times no. It's the fact that I didn't get my message from Peter and from the other apostles. In fact, it was almost three years, I believe, that before he finally went up to Jerusalem and conferred with them. He says, I got my message through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's Galatians 1, 11, 12. Now, as Paul received that message, what do we call it? Try again. What do we have, Paul, receiving the message? What word do we use to talk about him receiving the message? It's revelation. The word is revelation. As Paul began to write down what God's message was, what do we call that? Inspiration. Just so you're tracking with me. Very good. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37. In the first century, God was revealing things directly to some first century Christians. Why did he do that? Remember that he appointed some prophets in the church? That's Ephesians chapter 4. That's also 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Why did God put specifically men that he spoke directly to in the church in the first century? So they could know the truth. Well, why couldn't they just turn to Ephesians chapter 1, Debbie? It wasn't written down. The first century church, there were particular miraculous gifts that were given to Christians. And they were for the purpose so that they could confirm the word and they could help the Christians to be built up in the most holy faith. And is it any wonder then that when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I could get you to sing it, but I'm not going to be that cruel. 
I could get you to sing it. And he says, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are prophecies, they will cease. You got it. All right. Whether there are, where there's knowledge, it will, maybe I should sing it. Where there's knowledge, it will fail. Where there's uh, prophecies, they will cease. Peggy, stop laughing. If anyone thinks he's a prophet, let him confirm that the things that I write to you are from God. Paul says, I need your confirmation. The things that I'm talking about with regard to order in the church and how the church is put together, those things, I want you to understand that those things are particular to the New Testament church and your prophets can confirm this, that that's the word of God. Notice also, here's 1 Corinthians 13. Whether there are prophecies, direct revelations, there was a time stamp put on those things that they would not continue indefinitely. There's a reason why you should always look suspiciously at a preacher that wants to stand up in the pulpit and say, this morning I'm just going to wait for the Holy Spirit to inspire me with what I'm going to say. I've seen it done. It's not pretty. Okay? The reason why is because God does not inspire men the way that he did, or God does not reveal himself to men to be able to speak his word authoritatively like he did back in the first century. That's 1 Corinthians 17, uh, 13, verses 7 through 10. There's a time when that message is going to cease, and a person's going to have to look in the word of God to understand. Good? All right. Anybody still writing? Righto. Let's talk briefly, again, talking about revelation, talking about inspiration, how God revealed his will. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, in various times and in various ways, God in times past spoke to the fathers by the prophets. Various times, diverse in the old King James, uh, many different ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophet. How did he do it? Name me a way that God spoke in times past, that is, before Jesus. Sorry, directly to the patriarchs. There were direct speeches that God made to people. Yes? When Samuel was asleep in his bed as a boy, and he heard the name, Samuel, Samuel, he got up and he ran to who? Eli. And he said, here I am. Here's your servant. He said, I didn't call you. And he said, you know, after three times, Eli kind of starts cluing in, and he says, the next time that happens, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. God speaks to men directly. How else does God speak to men? Dreams. Dreams. Like you read my notes. Dreams. Joseph, when he was there with his brothers, you remember that he had two dreams about his family bowing down to him, sun, the moon, stars, uh, the sheaves of, of wheat that were out in the field. They were going to bow down to his sheaf. You know, Daniel chapter 7, God speaks to Daniel through dreams where he sees uh, these fantastic beasts. You know, there's dreams that God gives to man. How else does God speak to man? How about visions? Visions. Well, burning bush, yes, but that's direct speech, isn't it? I mean, it's God saying, Moses, take off your shoes for this is holy ground, and then revealing himself that I am the Lord, you know, I'm the great I am. But yes, absolutely. He used different ways, different means in times past, but it's still a matter of direct speech. You're exactly right, Jim. There are visions that God gives to man. Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, you want a crazy vision to read through, read through Ezekiel chapter 1. Isaiah 
and Isaiah chapter 6 sees a vision in the year King Uzziah died of God sitting in his temple, high and lifted up, you remember. That's different, it seems, than a dream. There's a distinction between those two, that a vision is something different, and there's something that's, uh, that's different about the way that the visions are uh, happening versus the way that the dreams happen. There's also angels, messengers that were sent to mankind for the specific will and revelation of God. Um, Judges chapter 13, as Samson is about to be born to Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. You remember that there was an angel that went and visited Mrs. Manoah and then went and visited both Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. You remember that Jesus, before he was born in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, there was an angel that was visited both to his father and to his mother. Well, his earthly father and to his mother. There were angels that were sent, specific messengers that were dispatched in order to talk to mankind about, um, about the will of God, about what God wants. Anybody that gets a direct revelation from God was considered a prophet. If you had God speak directly to you in the Old Testament, you were considered a prophet. Consider that that also applies to the patriarchs. God spoke to directly to the patriarchs, yes, to Moses, to Abraham, or sorry, to um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. As God speaks directly to those men, they are considered as prophets. That's why you'll find that name attached to them so often within the New Testament. One last thing, and we'll call it a night. Anybody still writing? Give you another couple of seconds. Anybody want to ask a question? All right, so Numbers 22, 23, 24, a story of Balaam uh, and his speaking donkey. Absolutely. But we don't find the donkey... Um, using a mystic language, right? The donkey just talks to him and says, why are you beating me? You know, why are you hitting me? And uh, then God opens his eyes and he sees the angel Lord standing there and realizes that the donkey was trying to save his life. You know, that's, um, yeah, absolutely. But um, can't offhand think of any other occasion where there was an animal other than the serpent that directly spoke to mankind um, giving the will of God. Serpent, of course, corrupted that, but uh, yeah, that's a good question. All right, one last thing to understand, and let's understand prophets, and we'll call it a day because we're almost out of time. Number one, who were prophets in the Old Testament, or who was considered a prophet? If you talk to God directly, if God talked to you directly, let's say it like that, you were considered a prophet. And so they were people that were forth-tellers, forth-tellers. We think about prophets and we think about somebody that's able to tell the future, yeah? Kind of like a, a, a mystic, um, somebody that can look into his crystal ball and, and understand exactly what's going on. What you find more often about the word prophet is that they are spokesmen, men who will tell forth the word of God. Hear the word of the Lord, um, thus saith the Lord. You're going to find that phrase repeated throughout the prophets because they're just telling what the will of God is and usually showing how the people have messed that up or uh, how they've not obeyed that. Prophets were also enforcers, enforcers in some respects. Here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, Samuel comes and says, Saul, uh, 
You know, why have you not obeyed the word of the Lord? Saul says, I have, you know, and he says, what's this sound of bleeding sheep that I hear? You know, you're supposed to kill all the Amalekites, right? And you remember that Samuel himself took Agag the king and killed him and commanded that the rest of the, uh, the sheep and the rest of those things be destroyed. He was an enforcer, at least in that respect. Prophets were historians. They were writing down uh, things about what happened during their, uh, during their prophecy and during their time. Isaiah has a lengthy section about what was going on with the Rabshakeh whenever um, Sennacherib came in to besiege Jerusalem. There are a number of historical accounts throughout the prophets where you're going to find them uh, recording just what's going on historically during that time. You're going to find prophets that functioned as poets. You know, didn't Jeremiah sit down in the ashes of Jerusalem and write down lamentations? All of that is very poetic. It's very uh, poetic with regard to you know, him weeping from A to Z about the city of Jerusalem. David was a prophet, but David was also one of the greatest poets the world's ever known. He wrote the majority of the book of Psalms, and he functioned as a po uh, poet. John the baptizer was a prophet in the fact that he prepared the way of the Lord. They wanted people to understand the will of the Lord. They wanted to understand that there are things that were coming and they were preparers for others. Last one is that they are foretellers. Yes, prophets did tell the future. They told the future sometimes for, uh, uh, about the Messiah, sometimes about the world nations that are going on and this, uh, going to be uh, destroying or being destroyed. But they told the future, at least in some respects. All of those aspects were basic functions of the men who had God speak directly to them, Revelation. That's where we're starting here uh, with regard to this class. I hope that's kind of piqued your interest for the rest of the quarter. One more time, I know somebody, I know somebody that will benefit from this class. Now go find them. That's your homework. Got it? Y'all have a great rest of the week.